0: Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. This podcast is dedicated to the millions of family caregivers who want wellness tips and self care solutions, who seek expert advice, and who want news about healthy aging and how to create well home design in our forever homes. I'm Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist, author, and educator, a TV interviewer, host, and news commentator. I'm joining you from Southern California, where our interviews and news take us all across the country to explore the many ways to help you on your caregiving journey and to lift you up here at Caregiving Club On Air. Welcome to Caregiving Club On Air. I'm your host, Sherry Snelling, a corporate gerontologist and CEO of Caregiving Club, and For this January episode, we're focusing on January's Financial Wellness Month. And with that, we have a wonderful guest on today, Amanda Stahl from Raymond James, who is going to tell us about the cost of care and what families need to think about and plan ahead for and how we should be working with our financial advisors. So that's going to be a great interview. In caregiver wellness news, we're going to focus on two aspects of the seven elements of wellness from my new book, Me Time Monday, The Weekly Wellness Plan to Find Balance and Joy for a Busy Life. So those two elements are going to be, of course, financial wellness, but we're also going to talk a little bit about physical wellness because, of course, with January being New Year's and many of us make resolutions, we're focused on new diets, new exercise, you know, new ways that we can be healthy. And what I'm going to give you instead of a New Year's resolution idea, I'm going to give you what we call the Me Time. Time Monday resolutionaries idea, which is to uh, use the Me Time Monday program and the seven elements of wellness that we have for balance and how to take tiny, small little steps, maybe seven minutes a day or seven minutes even a week, that we can insert more wellness into our lives and be more successful. So, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the, the trends in wellness workouts that are out there. We call them the joyful workouts we'll tell you a little bit about those but we'll also tell you about how to use the me time monday program for your benefit for the whole rest of the year and actually for the rest of your life because there's never an end date to me time monday it's never like okay we've hit our goal that's it we're done we're perfect no we're always going to be seeking that me time monday program and help that we need every week to stay happy and healthy and then, Well Home Design News. We're going to talk a little bit more about financial wellness in terms of the cost of care, but so specifically as it relates to where our older loved ones want or need to live as they age. This also impacts, you know, where they're at financially in terms of those last twenty to thirty years of life. How that's going to impact us, maybe as family caregivers. So things like reverse mortgages. Does your loved one still have a mortgage on their home? Do they need home modification to stay? home all those kind of costs we're going to give you some resources and some tools that you can use to find out a little bit more and get ahead of the game in terms of that financial planning and that financial wellness piece of living at home and having you know this whole well home design that includes our financial picture for it and as usual we're going to end our episode with our me time monday wellness hack and we're going to give you seven different ideas for a joyful workout So with that, let's go to our Caregiver Wellness News. Our Caregiver Wellness News, we're going to start with, of course, those New Year's resolutions. Many of us still make plans to set a goal for improving our exercise routines or eating more nutritiously or a variety of other things that usually have to deal with health, which is really important. So I wanted to focus a little bit on that and also bring in maybe some new thinking for you in terms of resolutions from my book, Me Time Monday. So what I write about in the book is Me Time Monday followers are really resolutionaries. And what does that mean? Well, it means we absolutely abandon the New Year's resolutions, just like most of us do anyway, right? By about February and certainly by April. I think the percentage of people who drop their New Year's resolutions is up into like the 70 or 80% or whatever it is. And by the end of the year, I think only there's a handful of percentage of people who actually accomplish some of those goals. So what I mean by abandoning them is we're thinking about these Big, huge, lofty goals. And we think about smaller increments and we break it down into weeks. And so, of course, you've got 52 Mondays in the calendar every week. You can find just a few minutes, and I talk about seven minutes because I've got seven elements of wellness. I talk about the power of seven. I'm not going to go into it here, but there's a lot of rationale behind why seven is really powerful and empowers us. So when we can find just seven minutes a day, and and I know family caregivers are so stretched. We call it time poverty. What we want to do is we want to get you to time affluence, right? Right. So maybe it's just seven minutes a week. Maybe we start, you know, real slow, but whatever it is that you can do, when we apply ourselves to just spending small increments, we become so much more successful. And what this does is this gives us a bit of a boost of dopamine, which is our reward hormone. And I write in the book about the four feel-good hormones that we have to harness and learn more about. Dopamine is one of those. When we can accomplish these tasks, we kind of feel good. It empowers us to keep going. And now when we check in with with ourselves every week, if we don't have a good week, okay, it's not, you know, it's not a disaster. We don't just abandon everything and jump into the tub of ice cream. Instead, we can think about going back and, and, you know, recouping and doing something again just for our own me time self-care during the week. And I have seven elements of of wellness, because very often we talk about wellness in the concept of physical wellness, right? Our bodies. We talk about certainly things like emotional wellness, so doing meditation. Then we stop there. And really wellness is about a balance in life that is more holistic. It's about spiritual wellness. It's about our environmental wellness. How well do our environments, our homes, our offices, our neighborhoods, out of those provide that wellness benefit and that healing that we all need for better health. It's financial wellness we're going to talk about. It's uh, social wellness. How well are we staying socially active? So there's a lot of different, I don't know if I hit all the seven elements because I'm trying to think them through in my head right now. Oh, intellectual wellness is another big one. You know, how are we staying engaged and lifelong learning and all of those types of things. So having a balance in those areas is really what brings about the most happiness and the most joy in life. You can be really, really successful in one or two elements, but if the others are out of balance, you're still not really optimally happy. And happiness Mm -hmm. is where we can achieve happiness in events or certain things that we might do or we might accomplish But the longer lasting joy, which is really the nirvana, right? That's what we're all going for is this joyful life is really brought about by every week for the rest of our lives. What can we do to achieve things that make us feel like we've accomplished something? We've mastered something. We're happy about something. And we keep kind of, you know, investing in that. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the joy economy at the end of this. But let's get into these joyful workouts. I'm fascinated because... All of a sudden, I'm seeing all of these articles and things that are cropping up on social media about dialing it back a little bit, right? In the age old days of Jane Fonda, where you were feeling the burn and, you know, some of the, the Pilates classes and certainly I think Cycle and stuff where everybody was just, you know, sweat, 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 sweat therapy. It's really kind of taken a shift. And I find this really fascinating because this is for all ages, certainly not just for family caregivers, but it's really dialing it back to being able to achieve things in smaller increments of time and not. Killing ourselves, you know, not just knocking ourselves out. I mean, yeah, sometimes it feels really great to have a really good sweat session, but for the most part, just moving. And I wanted to share with you the reason why I've got. For those of you watching on YouTube, I had to put the glasses on because I'm going to read you a few statistics and studies that I've been studying, and and some of it, of course, is was in my book. But one of the things that one of the studies said: a 15 minute walk outside in nature where you can see trees or greenery improved your cognitive test scores and calmed anxious nerves better than being on a treadmill for 45 minutes inside of a gym. Amazing. 15 versus 45. Okay. I think we can handle that, right? Even if you broke those 15 minutes into two sessions during the day. So you do your sevens, right? Seven minutes in the morning. 7 minutes maybe in the afternoon make it simple and easy and it's something you can accomplish don't try to again you know bite off t- more than you can chew but it's, it's amazing. And this whole nature connection is, again, a big, big theme in my book. You guys know that. You've been listening to me on this podcast now about brain health. But the connection to nature is just so instinctual. It's just inherent in all of us. Makes us feel better. It boosts all of those four feel-good hormones that we talk about. And it really has a benefit so that you don't have to spend as much time if you're doing things in nature. So, you know, if you join a Tai Chi class out in the park that is fantastic. That's probably one of the best exercises by the way or exercise class that you can do because it's slow, gentle movement and it's outside and it's in nature. All those things are really great. The other thing is that you know Harvard now has come out with a- another study. This is on top of a study they did about 3 years ago that showed that again we're all trying to get the 10,000 steps in, right? That's what we were told. We've got the Fitbits and the Apple Watches tracking everything. It's really 5,000 steps. In fact, it's 4,800, I think, was the latest study that Harvard came out with that gives you enough aerobic activity to improve your blood flow and lowers your blood pressure and reduces your cardiovascular disease risk and even your Alzheimer's risk. So you can see how we don't have to overachieve. If you want to, go for it. I say, if you've got the time and you've got the energy to do it, absolutely do what makes you feel good, but don't beat yourself up and don't have, don't have these self-defeating episodes because you can't get outside for a 30 minute walk or you can't go to the gym for, you know, a one hour class when you can just do seven minutes here and there. And it's going to give you the same kind of benefit that you would be getting from all these other things that we think you have to spend and, you know, invest a lot of time in and a lot of workout gear. I mean, let's, let's face it, walking around the block in nature, you don't need any kind of special gear for that. And so this whole green exercise, I think, is something that I find really fascinating. It's certainly a big trend in the Global Wellness Institute report. I also talk, I'm not going to talk today about blue wellness. That's another movement in wellness exercise and wellness, you know, just well-being overall. I'll I'll do that on another episode. But green exercise is what I wanted to focus on today. And, you know, part of it is because we spend 95% of our days indoors, Again, we're disconnecting our brains from where our brains are comforted and feel safe and secure, which is in nature. Because that we're going back to the ancient brain now. Where is the ancient brain thinking? They're like, where's my trees? Where's my fresh air? Where, where are my clouds and blue sky? Where's my dusk so I can watch a beautiful sunset? The brain craves that. And so the more we can give the brain that kind of nutrients, Okay, I know we're trying to eat better. And there's a lot of things you can do that really help, you know, the brain in terms of the, the nutrients and the foods that you eat. But also think about feeding your brain through nature. And that's, that's the big message I want to leave with you today. Also, I I thought what was fascinating. And I, I found this throughout the research for my book. So much of what we do goes back to the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Romans and Greeks and indians and and all the practices they had you know thousands of years ago but everything old is new again so just a couple things i found the joy workout many of you may have seen this it got a big huge splash big huge front page on the new york times i think it was in the wellness section kelly mcgonigal She's a health psychologist and lecturer at Stanford University. She's known for her work in psychology and neuroscience. And by the way, she has a twin, Jane McGonigal, who is a futurist and also a video game designer. They're they're fascinating. Their TED Talks, by the way, are really fascinating. But she recently wrote about the Joy Workout, which was kind of based on some of her research from her book. But again, it talks about seven to eight minutes a day. It's just moving, moving your arms, kind of kicking your legs out, maybe bending or, you know, doing doing some flexes and doing some lunges or whatever. But It's joyful. It's fun. It's almost a little bit like dancing. And you only need to do it seven, you know, to 10 minutes a day. Well, this is J.P. Mueller. This is my research from my book. OK, so J.P. Mueller was a, a Danish health advocate. And back in 1904, he published something called My System, which was 15 minutes every single day where you're, again, you're just moving the arms, you know, you're kind of swaying from side to side and moving all parts of your body. And it became this huge sensation. I mean, celebrities and kings and queens and royalty and everybody else was following J.P. Mueller. So, J.P., you got a little refresh now with the joy workout from Kelly McGonigal, but same kind of concept. Just get out and move a A little bit. Silent Walking, this is one that really fascinated me. So it was started by TikTok, a woman named Maddie Mayo, I think I'm saying that correctly, who said that she was doing insane cardio every day. It wasn't really making her feel good and she didn't feel like it was really benefiting her health. And so a nutritionist told her, well, you know what, try just doing you know, going from 30 minutes a day to like, you know, 10 minutes a day. And then her boyfriend said to her and do it without, you know, listening to music or talking to anybody, just do it. And, you know, almost like a Buddhist, the Buddhist monks used to do walking. Of course, silent walking was part of their daily routine to be in nature. And so uh, what she found is this whole boost that she felt in happiness and wellness after practicing this. And she posted on TikTok, And of course, you go on TikTok and you become a sensation, then it's got to be true, right? But silent walking is another one. And then the last one is cozy cardio, which I love. I think this is fascinating. So this was actually Hope Zuckerbrow uh, a couple of years ago. She actually started something called the Cozy Cardio Club. And what what she said is, you know, do things that get your heart rate up, but also just make you feel good. So, you know, yeah, maybe get on the exercise bike, but do it in your pajamas. <laughs> Or, you know, maybe you walk around the neighborhood in your slippers or, you know, your Uggs or whatever. And you don't have to worry about doing five miles or getting the, you know, the thousands and thousands of steps in. Just do it as long as you feel good and then that's fine. Or light a candle and, you know, do some stretching on the floor with your cat. So she she was all into this cozy cardio kind of movement, which really took off again on TikTok and became huge and lots of millions of followers were doing that. Now, I want to also talk about something else when we talk about kind of financial wellness and happiness and all that, because I write in the book that certainly having financial stability is important because if we don't, we have a lot of stress in our life and that's going to impact other aspects of our emotional and mental health as well as, well as our physical health. So that's the financial wellness piece. Now, joy economy is something I talk about in my book. It is something that is based on your personal happiness. And it's how much do you invest in really thinking about what makes you happy? And do you practice it? Do you try to insert something every single day that makes you happy? Maybe it's hugging somebody. Maybe it's watching a really funny comedy YouTube video. Maybe it's just watching your dog sleep. And, you know, I, sometimes I laugh, some of the poses that she gets into my dog. So whatever it is that just infuses a little bit of happiness and laughter is certainly a big part of that. Danny Modisat, who was on our episode from Laughter on Call, she was last season. You can check that out, but she's all about humor and laugh medicine. But you know, anything that really invests in your personal happiness is what your personal joy economy is about. Is about. Now, the reason why I coined joy economy is we don't have a lot of control over the economy, inflation, global tensions, civil unrest, all the bad news that you hear whenever you turn on the TV or you pick up your social media and all the scrolls are like, you know, doom scrolling, right? We don't have control over that. But what we do have control over is shutting those things off, that noise pollution, and focusing on things that make us happy. So our own personal happiness is absolutely in our hands. Nobody else hands it to us. Nobody else gives it to us. It's not waiting. We're not waiting for the government to say, hey, you can be happy now. It is about your own personal investment and building things, building, you know, a business around happiness, if you will, for your own sake and finding those moments of happiness every week. So so think about what your joy economy is going to be this year and how do you build some of those things into your week? And then finally, we get to the real financial wellness, of so the, the money talk, right? And it's certainly one of the seven elements of wellness. As I said, you've got to have balance. You've got to have stability in your financial life in order to be able to feel like you've got balance in all these other areas of life. But I just wanted to read to you a couple things uh, from some surveys that have come out recently. This one actually was from Wells Fargo, which I found really interesting. And they're talking about, particularly for women, how do you find financial self-care? So, you know, I, I'm telling you, wellness and self-care, it's applied to everything these days, right? So the survey said men are sig- significantly more likely to talk to a financial professional about their financial health compared to women, 29% versus 20%. While women are more likely to say they don't talk to anyone about it, 35% versus 26%, which is really interesting because often as girlfriends, you know, we'll share a lot of intimate secrets and things going on with life, but we don't talk about finances. There is still a little bit of that pullback about talking about how well you do financially or, you know, how much you have left on your mortgage or how much you have in savings or whatever it is. Uh, Meanwhile, men are more likely than women to describe their relationship with money in a positive way. And women are more reluctant to do that. So this is why I invited our next guest or our guest for this episode on financial wellness to the podcast. Really excited to have her. She's a fellow gerontologist, and that is Amanda Stahl from Raymond James. Her focus and her job title is actually Director of Longevity Planning. She understands the living longer bonus years, how that impacts families, both the older adults as well as you know younger generations who may have to have an outlay of cash, out-of-pocket expenses to cure- care for older loved ones, all of those kind of challenges that we're looking at financially for our future. And I'm really excited to have her on today because they're doing some really great things for their clients and she's going to tell us about that. And she's also going to help us learn what do we need to think about, and what are the things that we should be talking to a financial advisor about? And I think obviously, if we can't talk to our girlfriends and we're not really sharing things, at least if we can have a financial advisor we can talk to that we can trust, that will you know kind of help us navigate through these these bonus years of life and everything. I think that's going to be really helpful. So here is my interview with Amanda Stahl. So as you know, it is January, Financial Wellness Month, and we thought it was a perfect time to bring on Amanda Stahl, who is the Director of Longevity planning at Raymond James. And I find this really fascinating. And we're going to get Amanda to tell us a lot more about her role. But I thought it was a really great time to kind of talk through some of the financial wellness that we know we need in our lives as caregivers. Part of that balance is how do we plan ahead and you know, for some of these costs with families and all of that. So Amanda, it's really great to have you on the podcast today. Welcome to Caregiving Club on Air.
1: Thanks, Sherry. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, you know, the first question we always ask our guests is where are we talking to you from today?"
1: I am reporting from the Raymond James Home Office in St. Petersburg, Florida.
0: Okay, so you've got nice weather.
1: <laughs> you've uh, got- it's been so nice lately. Not so sunny, St. Pete, but usually it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, I. you know, I'm in Southern California, so we kind of mirror you a little bit in terms of some of our weather patterns. I've been talking to some people who are in the Midwest who are, you know, the 20 below. I can't even imagine. <laughs>
1: I do not envy them at all. I couldn't do it.
0: Yeah, me neither. Well, as
1: I mentioned up front, Amanda, you have a
0: really interesting role and job as the Director of Longevity Planning, and I wanted you to tell us a little bit more about what you do and and also a little bit more also about Raymond James so that our audience understands what services you provide.
1: Sure. So Raymond James is a financial services firm. We have between 8,500 and 9,000 financial advisors located around the country. And they're really focused on helping clients plan for what we say, you know, life well planned. So looking at the financial plan and everything that comes along with that. And I'm there to support our financial advisors and in turn their clients with longevity planning. So as we all know, the stats are out there. We're living longer. How can we help plan for these different things? Not just from a financial perspective, but also thinking about all the different resources that you might need to be connected with as well as supporting clients that are needing care or also in that caregiver role.
0: Yeah. And I I want to dig into a little bit of that resources and connection that you make. But one of my first questions is, you know, I had seen some surveys and studies that have been done in the middle of the pandemic. And since we've gotten through the pandemic that show that, you know, more people, particularly younger generations are thinking about long-term care planning. What are you seeing in terms of your clients? Are they Thinking about this more and, and asking more questions about long-term care, both for maybe their older loved ones, but also for themselves?
1: Yeah, I think for a lot of people, the pandemic was almost like this black swan event where we all saw that things could really change in, in a second. And so looking at what those plans are for the future, people that maybe were once comfortable looking at a care residence in the future, were no longer going to be comfortable with that because of what we saw with lockdowns and things like that. Or maybe some people are going to want to plan for that type of social environment in the future, knowing that socialization is so important and, you know, just things can change so quickly. So I do think that the pandemic has just kind of shed light on the importance of planning for these types of needs and not wanting to leave it up to chance.
0: Yeah, which is really great. You know, we've always all along, I've been in this space for such a lot of such a long time, it feels like forever, but it's that pre-planning that I know is really tough because we don't really know who, what, when. Do you still get pushback with that? I mean, I think there's some basics, like you mentioned, where are you going to live, right? That's a big one. That's probably the biggest cash outlay. But do you feel that people are still resistant because it's just like such an unknown? Or do you feel like now they really do want to get ahead of the curve?
1: I think more so they do want to get ahead of the curve, and it's such an individualized and personalized question and experience. For instance, if people have taken care of mom and dad or other loved ones, they're much more open to that conversation. But we really frame it around: let's plan ahead, let's be proactive versus reactive, and at least document and make your wishes known to your loved ones so that a really stressful time, such as that health, um, you know, emergency or needing that care. We can then, you know, activate that plan versus having to come up with it from scratch. And we have relied a lot on content from our partners, Hartford Funds, and the MIT H lab. They have these three questions that determine quality of life. I don't know if you've ever talked about those before, if it's okay for me to kind no, of dive. Yes, in. please share those with our audience. Yeah, so really trying to frame around where you're gonna live, who's gonna take care of you. So the three questions are who will change my light bulb? How will I get an ice cream cone and who will I eat lunch with? And so that, how will I change my light bulb? Where, What is your living situation? When you're not able to climb up on the ladder anymore and change the light bulb, who's going to do that for you? Is your home accessible? Do you have that support nearby? How will I get an ice cream cone really ties into transportation? Maybe it's that hot summer night, but you're not comfortable driving at night anymore. How are you going to get around? And then who will I eat lunch with that piece of socialization and both caregivers and the care recipients, and just aging successfully, we know that socialization has such a huge impact on somebody's health and longevity. And so, how do we plan ahead and really make sure that people are staying socially engaged when they retire from full time work, or they're having to leave work to take care of loved ones, and all the different things that could happen?
0: I, I love those questions because they're really they get really down to the nitty gritty of what's important in, in life and how we should be thinking about this. There's such surprise, I think, for some families and family caregivers. When we think about the biggest cash outlay, I think, is going to be where are you going to live? Whether it's going to have, you know, you're going to bring home care into the home, and how many hours a day do you need that? Is it going to be 24-7 or or what? Or are you going to need to move, you know, mom or dad to memory care or assisted living or whatever it is? And so, what are, what are some of the maybe surprises or what are the things that you're guiding your clients to think about when it comes to how do we plan ahead financially for caregiving?
1: I think just having that conversation with loved ones and with family is so, so crucial to understand what do I need to plan ahead for? What is the maybe care recipient going to be able to pay for versus the caregiver or adult children? Maybe one adult child is really involved in the care and another one is able to chip in more financially. Maybe one is there physically in person and can help get mom or dad to the doctor's appointments and get groceries and help with home maintenance. And the other is afar, and they're doing more of that financial caregiving. So it's really just, again, being proactive and having that conversation. I mean, when you go into a financial planning engagement and maybe working with a financial advisor, if you use those care calculators to look at, you know, what is the cost of care in my area and what is it going to look like five, 10 years from now? It can really blow up your financial plan and it can be pretty scary. So I think understanding what does that look like? Can I self fund care? Do I need to look at a long-term care insurance policy? Or how am I going to make this work between professionals and relying on family, loved ones, and friends? And again, just having that plan in place that you can then activate the plan versus having to scramble at that last minute
0: yeah, and you know, to, to your point too, it's I, I've seen numbers, for instance, on average. So this is a very just generic number, I guess, but you know, it can cost between three hundred thousand and four hundred thousand for, you know, assisted living or particularly memory care, which we know is more expensive because the average stay for someone in assisted living is is typically between about three and a half you know, years, maybe five years can be longer, certainly with memory care. But even that number, when you say 350,000, people are startled because it is a huge number, right? And so you need a long runway. To be able to save for that. How do you guide your clients in terms of these numbers being a little frightening and daunting with all the other things we're trying to do? We're trying to save for ourselves in our own retirement, maybe try to, you know, put some money aside for college tuition and all these other things. How does that map out for clients?
1: So again, I think it's very individualized and have they experienced this firsthand or not? Have they been involved in taking care of someone? But we rely on at least for kind of those broad estimates that powers our financial planning calculators, the Genworth cost of care calculator. So you can actually go in down to the zip code, understand what home health care versus memory care versus the cost for a nursing home and type in the year. You know, they're putting in that two and a half, three 3% of inflation every year. So that number can get really high. But also just looking at, okay, maybe where I live has a really high cost of living, but my adult child lives in a place that is more affordable. Would it make sense for me to relocate when I'm still healthy and able to make that decision and I'm still, you know, mobile and able to be independent completely so that then they're they're there to help? And maybe that adult child can help as well as some professional home health care, different things like that, outlining different scenarios and seeing what's going to work best for that individual and for their family. A lot of times, too, and. You see this trend of college towns. They might have lower cost of living. They may have public transportation. They have usually a good arts scene, a walkable downtown. So, people, older individuals, are looking at college towns as a place to move to that, again, might have that more affordable cost of living and eventual care need. Also, seeing companies out there, there's one called Papa that really started in college towns where they are working with college students to go into the homes and help with companion care for older individuals. So just really a lot out there that you can leverage and just being aware of the different organizations out there and understanding, you know, maybe the town you live in right now isn't going to be the best for your future as you're aging and seeing what your options
0: are. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned the Genworth Cost of Care Survey. I love that tool. I think it's great. Anybody can access it for free. We'll have a link, of course, on our episode guide page. That because I think it's a great tool, and I love that you mentioned the the Papa. We actually interviewed Care Yaya a couple episodes ago, and they're using medical students to come into the home and provide some of that companionship care in obviously you know college towns and university towns. So it's really great to to look at those different types of things as we're thinking through all this long term care. I want to go back to you know you mentioned. Connecting clients to good resources. So, uh, tell me a little bit more about that because I think one of the biggest challenges that family caregivers encounter is we don't know what we don't know, right? And there are a lot of resources out there and, and things we forget. Like, for instance, if our loved one is a veteran, you know, we're not automatically thinking, can I tap into some of these veteran benefits or, you know, USAA insurance or any of these. So, what are the things that you're doing to help bridge those connections for families?
1: I think that's such a great point, especially caregivers do not have time to be researching and trying to figure out what all of these different resources are that are out there. And so we've tried to employ our financial advisors by vetting resources through our home office to enable them to act as a center point and really connect their clients and their families with these different resources that are out there. So we work with a company called Broadspire Care Management different care managers around the country that can help with home assessments, helping people age in place successfully, find nursing homes or memory care facilities or home health care aides to come into the home. We also work with a company called ClearMatch that helps with making sure you're on the most effective Medicare policy. Is it the most cost effective? Does it have the doctors that you need? Is it covering the prescriptions that you're taking? Also a company called EverPlans where you can go in and store and organize all the information you can imagine about your life really providing that peace of mind to know if something were to happen to me whether that's somebody passes away or a medical emergency i've stored organized all this information and shared it with my loved ones and also a company called eversafe which is identity theft protection great right, for people of any age but then they have specialized features for seniors so that perhaps you have an older loved one that is needing a little bit of help, but you you don't want to take the financial reins away, you can set it up so that you are monitoring their accounts and you can receive their alerts alongside them. So that if anything is off or unusual, you're getting insight into those anomalies versus relying on that older individual to come back and report it to you. A lot of times with elder fraud, people can be embarrassed or they don't know what's going on. And so just having insight into that financial picture. So those are some of the key ones that we work with that our clients have really enjoyed and that have provided a lot of value to them and to their families.
0: What I love about what you're doing is, you know, in the past it was, oh, you should look into this or, you know, you should compare Medicare plans, but it was a handoff, right? And again, the caregivers are out there navigating on their own. You're making the connection and you're creating an ecosystem that at least they feel, some trust in, right? That, okay, I can go check this out. This is going to really help me out in this area. I love that because I think we need more of that. I think we do need, to help the caregivers and really guiding them to good resources out there. And and you mentioned EverSafe. We also interviewed Liz Lowy. We love her. She talked to us about romance scams and grandparents and all those things that can help your older loved ones avoid. You know, when we were talking earlier about how to have these conversations, do you feel that financial advisors are really almost helping to facilitate more of these conversations in families or... I mean, you know, they're not reactive, right? The clients aren't saying, oh, maybe we should bring my family in or maybe how do I talk to my kids about that? I mean, do you feel like the financial advisors are really playing that role now of helping people to understand there's gotta be good communication?
1: I think so, especially because the finances can really be the impetus for that family to have the conversation because it is a difficult topic to broach. But if you're coming in, working with a financial advisor, looking at the financial plan, seeing the illustration and understanding these different buckets and where different pieces of funding may go, it can really help just spark that conversation. A lot of clients will say, I never want to live with my adult children. Others would say, I never want to go into a nursing home. So just having, again, that conversation with the family, oh, well, I'm going to move in with my daughter. Does she know that? Is her home accessible? Is there room for you? So really just opening up that conversation. And yes, I think that the financial advisor is really well poised to help do that because they're used to having these kind of sensitive conversations all the time.
0: Yeah, which is really great. You know, one question I, I had sent you some of the questions I'd ask when I hadn't put on there, but I know it's it's coming up a lot more, is the role of technology like AI in being able to help us, you know, whether it's planning financially or doing other things. I, I would love your feedback on that if you want to share some of your thoughts, because my belief is, and I, and I think it's true of financial planning too, you know, caregiving, in my opinion, is always going to be high tech plus high touch. I don't think you're going to be able to remove that human element only because of the, we're social animals. We need that human touch in order to thrive. We can't completely get rid of that. I think also on the financial side, we need the trust that almost comes with talking to a human, you know, uh, meeting with somebody maybe in person. Give me your thoughts on all this new technology and particularly this whole, you know, focus that we have now on AI and artificial intelligence.
1: I 100% agree with you, both for caregiving and financial planning, high tech, high touch, leveraging the technology to be, so that you have more time to do those high touch activities that you might need to do. So with the caregiving, something like an Eversafe, they're leveraging AI machine learning and the, their algorithms to look at that full financial picture and then employ the caregiver with the information that they might need versus the caregiver having to go in and check mom or dad's credit card account and checking account and just getting getting insight that way, it's saving them a lot of time and being able that for them to have a more intelligent look at that picture. And in terms of AI, I mean, just so much coming out there and the healthcare developments and the ways that the healthcare system is able to leverage as well. And I think just this kind of technologies that are going to be coming in the next few years, You know, we talk about longevity, we talk about longer lifespans, but the way things are looking those are going to just continue to extend and so really planning ahead for that and understanding but even simpler technology helping loved ones and caregivers maybe feel comfortable for mom or dad to continue living independently things like a mat by the bed that shows they got out of bed that early or a medication management or just all these different things that enable people to almost create an assisted living facility at home if they would prefer to age in place so Really so much out there. Again, who has time to find all of this? But working with a professional that can connect you, perhaps a care manager or other, you know, organization in your area to help you leverage some of these different technologies just to make life a little bit easier. And like you said, leverage that tech so that you can still provide that human element and, and do more of that.
0: Well, going back to what you said earlier in terms of the ecosystem you've built, you're helping your clients not only financially, but you're able to also have them talk to these care managers who can put together care plans and connect them to some of these technologies in the home and other things. So, again, there's not a drop off. You know, it's not, let's say you're on your own. I love that because I think that that is just so crucial in in what we're seeing happening. You know, one of the things obviously that we know is as we age, we have a greater risk of developing dementia. I think the recent statistics are that one in three adults over the age of 80 or 85 will develop some type of dementia. How does that play into the financial planning world and how do advisors manage that if they first of all, maybe have an older client and they're seeing some signs. I know there's privacy issues and other things. How, how does that work in terms of what, you know, what what should we know as family caregivers if, if the financial advisor is seeing something that might be off?
1: Great question. So the regulators have stepped in and tried to employ advisors with a way to be able to contact the loved ones of clients. They're called trusted contacts. So if you have an older loved one that you're caring for or that's in your family make sure that their financial advisor has you or whoever they designate as a trusted contact so that if that financial advisor notices anything is different off unusual with your loved one they then have permission to contact you it's so so important and something we continue to work on to ensure that each and every one of our clients no matter what their age is providing that trusted contact with that said financial advisors, their support staff, us at the home office, we have mandatory trainings each year on how to identify um, diminished capacity, fraud, things like that. And oftentimes that grasping of a financial concept can be one of the first things to go when somebody is having diminished capacity or is having some type of dementia. So Sometimes the financial advisor can be one of the first people to notice that something is going on. So again, the importance of providing that trusted contact so that they have somebody that they can reach out to. We also have a whole team here at the home office to support our financial advisors. If there is an issue or, you know, that we talked about romance scams, someone saying, I need to wire $7,000 to my boyfriend overseas the financial advisor can let the home office know and they'll launch a full investigation to make sure that that is a legitimate request before we're putting that client at risk and, and sending out funds if, if that's a fraud situation.
0: Yeah, it's such a delicate balance. You know, you don't want to control someone's life, but at the same time, you want to make sure the protections are there. And we know that our older population is, you know, so vulnerable to often these scammers and, and fraudsters and all that. The other thing that I read, which I thought was really interesting, that we came out of a survey that showed that women who were divorced or widowed later in life very often changed their financial advisors after a year or so of being in this new role. And I just wondered if you have any thoughts or comments around, you know, advising solo agers which we have a lot of now you know again we know women do live on average 3 to 4 years longer than men but you know is there a difference between advising men versus women or any nuances there that our caregivers should know about
1: I think that's a great question and again so individualized and personalized but we feel like offering these types of resources and helping families plan around longevity is really going to help that those women clients be more loyal to their financial advisor and you know we have a concerted effort at the firm too to continue to recruit and empower women financial advisors oftentimes a woman may feel more comfortable working with another woman or working with a team that has a woman you know as a part of the team and so that's definitely something that we think about when it comes to how can we best serve those clients and you know we know women control the money and we want to make sure that we are helping them feel comfortable in providing the level of service and, and these different resources that they're going to need. So while there are certainly some nuances, I feel like that caregiving value add, being able to help the families think through these issues, connect them with these different resources is a really great way that our financial advisors can connect with their women clients, whether they're solo aging or if they're part of a couple. And for those that maybe are solo aging, These resources might be even more important to them. They want to know that they have that support and people that they can lean on should they need it.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely the truth. I noticed even just in my own personal, when my stepdad was still alive, he and my mom didn't share quite as much, you know, details and information. It was always like, oh, don't worry about it, honey. Everything's kind of taken care of. Even though I was in this, this you know, world of uh, wanting to have these conversations. But once my stepdad passed, my mom then was certainly looking for more security and support and was, you know, willing to, to share and open up a lot more. So I, I found that just personally had happened in my experience. Is there anything else we didn't cover? I'm just checking my notes here, but uh, so much of your information has been so valuable, I think, to our audience. Anything else that you want to share or anything we didn't ask you or didn't cover?
1: I think we touched on it, but just that importance of planning ahead and thinking through what you want your elder care situation to look like. It's okay to plan ahead. Hopefully you won't need it, but document it, share it with your loved ones, Do you want to live independently? Do you want to stay in your hometown? Would you be willing to move? All these different questions that, again, are just so individualized and personalized. So make it a little bit easier. Give the gift to yourself and to your family and document some of that information. I mentioned Everplant. They have a whole elder care living wishes questionnaire as part of their platform asking questions like, do you want to be able to have your pets with you? Cook your own food, you know? have your own furniture, all these different things that we don't necessarily think about as we're planning and and thinking about what our life situation may look like in the future.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. We don't think about those little things like, you know, maybe Grandma has a pet, and yet your child is allergic to the cat or whatever, right? You know, all these things that happen when we're looking at maybe merging our families or, you know, helping out and all that is great. Well, Amanda, it's just been great talking to you. I've really enjoyed all the great information you've been able to share with our audience. And so, where can our listeners find more information about Raymond James?
1: Thanks, Sherry. Lots of more information available at RaymondJames.com/slash-longevity-planning, and I have more information at AmandaStall.com.
0: Awesome. Well, Amanda, it's great talking to you. Thanks again for being on our episode. It so wasn't that a great interview with Amanda? So much good information. And I think it really gives us some things to think about as we're planning as families for long-term care for both ourselves, but also our older loved ones and you know what we might have to... Uh, be investing in, in terms of, of taking care of our older loved ones. So with that, I'm going to turn to you now Well Home Design News. And I took up a lot of time in our caregiver wellness news. So I'm going to keep this somewhat short for you, but there were some interesting things. You know, Amanda mentioned the Genworth Cost of Care Survey, which is done every year by Genworth. And we'll have the link on our episode guide page. But I did want to let you know that it is a great, great tool. If you're trying to understand, what is the cost of caring for my loved one in all different kinds of scenarios. So it has, for instance, the cost of adult daycare. So let's say your loved one is still living at home, but you're worried about them being alone during the day. So you invest in adult daycare where they can go Monday through Friday, or maybe they go a couple days a week week, or whatever it is. It'll give you that cost. It then also gives you cost of home care. Now, there are two types of home care, and uh, we're going to learn more about home care in our February episode. But just to give you a real quick idea of what happens in the home, there's personal care, what we call personal care, which is kind of more companions. It's uh, direct care workers who can come in and maybe do a little bit of Light home uh, housework and maybe prepare a meal, take a loved one, you know, to a doctor or to visit you know friends or whatever it is. but they but they're not doing really medical care. Now, medical care is typically a home health food. That's going to be delivered more by a registered or licensed nurse. It's someone who can give a shot. It's somebody who can certainly treat and do wound care. It's somebody who can even write a prescription or make sure that that your loved one is taking their medications, but it's someone who needs kind of higher level of care and and home health is typically prescribed by your loved one's doctor usually upon discharge from the hospital. They'll prescribe that. And so this Genworth survey cost of care will tell you what the difference is between home health, which is a little bit more expensive, of course, but can get covered so you can you'll need to check the that out with experts who understand Medicare plans and what may or may not be covered through Medicare or Medicaid, and then home care, and then there is assisted living, of course. And it depends on whether you have a private room or whether you have a roommate. It depends on where you're at. What I love about this Genworth cost of care survey is that they give you a national average, but then you can go in state by state and it breaks down the costs because obviously the costs are going to vary very greatly depending on where your loved one lives. So it really gives you as close to an estimate as you can get. And then of course, you've got your memory care, which is the dementia care for Alzheimer's and other dementias. That's going to be a slightly higher cost because that's a more, more skilled staff and workforce uh, and, and all other safety precautions for your loved one. And then there's skilled nursing, which is what we think of as a traditional nursing home. And so, you know, what it doesn't have on there are the active 50, 55 senior living communities, you know, the the Latitude Margaritaville, which is based on the Jimmy Buffett lifestyle that you can find in Florida. And I think also some, some places in Texas now. It doesn't have that active 55. It doesn't have, if I'm correct, and I'll double check this, but it doesn't have the life plan communities, which usually are called CCRCs, continuing care retirement communities is what that stood for. Now they're using the word life plan community, but this is where you're going to have different levels of care on one big, huge campus. So you can have independent living apartments. You can have assisted living, which is where someone is, you know, a certified nurse assistant is coming in to do a little bit more help with your loved one. You can have skilled nursing, so that's going to be higher levels of care. You're probably not as mobile. You need to have a doctor oversee your care on mostly you know, a weekly or even a daily basis. And then certainly hospice care is also located. Those are big, huge communities. That's often an attractive choice for couples who have different levels of care needs. So it might be that the wife needs to be in memory care the dad's fairly independent, but they don't want to be so far away. He doesn't want to still live at home and have to drive 30 minutes every day or whatever it is to, to see her. He can be on the same campus and then they can visit with each other and all of that. That's the hot, the most expensive type of living, by the way, as we age. And there's often long wait times. I have heard anywhere from seven to 10 years for some of these communities are the wait lists to get in. So this is why planning ahead becomes really critical because we think, well, you know, something's going to happen. We're just going to make a choice and we're just going to go and move in. But very often there might be wait lists or other nuances we don't know about. And that's where having a guide, like a care manager, having a financial planner who understands senior care and all of these nuances is really helpful, but this is a great tool. We'll have that link on our episode guide page. So we'll have that cost of care. Now, the other thing is, we've talked about this before. Just be prepared because the average out of pocket cost for a family caregiver caring for an older loved one is $7,500 a year. That was pre inflation. <laughs> we all know what the cost of bread and gas and eggs are now. So I would say that number's probably gone up a little bit because certainly grocery shopping was on that list of out of pocket costs. But these are costs that are not covered by Medicare, not covered by Medicaid, not covered by a long term care insurance plan you know, or all the other things that we think of that should be covering these costs. Those are costs that aren't covered. So $7,500 is is going to be your average outlay. Some people, particularly if you're a long distance caregiver, you don't live in the same town as your loved one. The costs are going to be higher because you're going to need more help. You're going to need more services. Maybe it's transportation or meal delivery or, again, home care. So those costs are going to go up definitely if you're a long distance caregiver, And and then dementia care, as I mentioned, is a specialized type of care. So that's always a little bit more costly than the average care. Now, something that I found really interesting, I want to just share with you quickly is the Harvard Joint Center for Housing does studies, particularly on living longer and longevity and how that's impacting, you know, overall societal health and financial wellness and all this. And they came out with a study just about a month ago, It's just at the end of 2023, I wanted to read this to you because I found this really fascinating and and actually a little bit new. I had not heard a lot of this statistics before. So between 1989, okay, that's a while ago, and 2022, the share of homeowners 65 to age 79 who still had a mortgage that they were paying on increased from 24%, 41%. And the median mortgage debt shot up to over four hundred percent, which was about twenty one thousand dollars in nineteen eighty nine to over one hundred ten thousand dollars in twenty twenty two. So, what does this mean? Well, clearly, the cost of care and the cost of everything in our lives has gone up, and a lot of older adults are needing to tap into that home equity, or you know, they've they've taken on. Additional loans or whatever that's pushing their mortgage out, but you know they they haven't paid off their mortgage. Very often in years past, it would be like you know your parents or grandparents would have paid off their home. It now becomes a valuable asset, you know, that goes into the trust or whatever that gets passed down. It's called wealth transference to younger generations. Well, that's maybe not going to be there anymore. So you know we have to plan ahead for these things. We have to know what the financial picture is with our loved ones but if there's still going to be a mortgage left on that house you know again for your own financial planning you need to understand that because it may impact how you're looking at you know what you possibly might be inheriting or whatever also 30% of homeowners over age 80 are still carrying mortgages and only 3% of people over 80 were 3 decades ago still had a mortgage so again things are really changing Uh, It also makes it tough because if you still own on your home and your loved one has to be moved into an assisted living or a nursing home or a memory care facility, obviously selling that home, if you still have a mortgage on it, isn't going to leave you with the full equity, full value of that home that maybe you could have used to apply towards that long-term care cost, which is completely out of pocket, by the way. Nothing, Medicare, Medicaid, don't cover it for the most part. Medicaid might cover it a little bit. You really need to think about that because you may not have as much then in the kitty, in the savings, to apply towards that long-term care. All of these are conversations that are really tough to have, I know, as families, but this is where financial planners, as Amanda said, can help facilitate those conversations and bring families together to do better planning, you know, in total. The other thing is reverse mortgages, of course, you know you probably heard a lot about those. Maybe we'll get an expert to come on and tell us more. But in a reverse mortgage, once your loved one has to leave the home, the mortgage then reverses to the company that took on that reverse mortgage loan to give your loved one money at the time that they needed it. But let's just say, mom needs to move in into memory care. Well, you're thinking, well, we'll sell her house and maybe we'll get four hundred thousand out of it. and that should that should do do us really well to cover the Medica, you know, the memory care costs. Uh-uh. that home is going to revert completely to the mortgage company that gave you the reverse mortgage. Now you got nothing unless mom has savings or other things. So again, just stuff to think about. I know it's tough, but it's just all new stuff, right? Because we're living longer and we don't think about it. And then lastly, home modifications. You know, if your loved one wants to stay living in their home as long as possible, you really have to think about modifying that home for safety, as well as quality of life and there's so much fantastic stuff out there. There's a couple people I'm I'm reaching out to to have on the podcast. Some really fascinating stuff we're going to share with you in the next few episodes but you know home modifications are beautiful now when you think about aging in place which is what the industry calls it. You know I hate that term. But the the manufacturers and the you know, the furniture designers and the interior designers, everybody has really stepped up. And boy, is there some beautiful stuff out there that is safe for you and, and it makes it accessible and everything. But it's it's also really beautiful. It's not yesteryear's, you know, home modification for aging in your home. So we're, we'll we'll have some of that. And you know, one of the things I found fascinating is there was a survey that came out that said a lot of people in their 70s are modifying their homes. So I know my mom did. She redid her bathroom. It's gorgeous, but it's also very accessible, universal design. So way to go, mom. But you know, a lot of people who are older are looking to make those modifications in their home so they can live there as long and as independently and safely as possible. So with that, we're gonna go to our Me Time Monday wellness hack. And what we've got for you are seven lot of cool ideas for how to create a seven-minute joyful workout. Welcome to our Time Monday Wellness Hack. This episode, we focus on seven joyful workouts that you can do in just seven minutes per day. Making a seven-minute walk outside in nature is as beneficial as hitting the treadmill for 20 to 40 minutes inside of a gym. Let your eyes take in all the green or colors of the season, smell the air, use your five senses to start your day with a multi sensory workout of sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. This multi sensory experience is part of the silent walking trend that we've been seeing on TikTok. Not to be distracted by technology and instead of taking in nature. Walking in nature, whether it is forest bathing or around your neighborhood or a local park where you are immersed in greenery is all part of the green exercise wellness movement. Walking your dog may reduce the risk of dementia for both of you. Studies show dementia affects between 15 to 35% of older dogs. The dog Aging Project found that dementia is more than six times higher in inactive dogs. So grab a leash, take friday for a fitness break for you both think of healthy habits in seven minute increments but if you do it every day you have 49 minutes of healthy activity every week so what are some of the things that you or your older loved one can do in just seven minutes well you can do chair yoga you can find youtube videos for guidance or take a class you can also do tai chi which often is done outside in parks Or again, you can find an online class or video to guide you in the graceful, slow movements that really you can do anywhere. Lunges or squats while you're waiting for your lunch to cook in the microwave are a great way to work out those legs, and deep breathing and inhaling for four seconds, holding for seven, and exhaling for eight seconds helps calm the vagus nerve and our stress responses and brings us back to balance. Now, whenever you feel stress or a headache coming on, drink eight ounces of water. Often headaches are caused by stress, which makes us dehydrated. And you can also do things like stacking. For instance, you can stretch while brushing your teeth. This is something that I got into every day where I throw one leg up on the counter and while I'm brushing my teeth, I'm stretching on that side with that leg, then the other leg. And within two or three minutes, I've brushed my teeth and I've done a little stretching workout. It's great to help fight osteoporosis and also helps with painful joints. Simple chores is something Gretchen Rubin talked about in her book, The Happiness Project. But beyond happy, you feel you've accomplished something in your day. And when you look at what you've done, it helps provide a sense of resiliency, even when, as a caregiver... You don't have a lot of control over things. So what are some of the simple chores that can get you into this seven minute resiliency zone? Well, just making your bed every day is an accomplishment and makes you feel like at least you got something done. Washing the dishes after you eat, maybe it's only one or two dishes and this only takes a couple of minutes. Maybe chopping your food when you get home from the grocery store and storing it in the fridge, Um, not when you're exhausted and you can still toss things together rather than waiting when you're out of time and you aren't able to put together a nutritious meal also climbing stairs when you can it's the caregiver solution not going to the gym or parking in the middle of the parking lot when you do go to the grocery store or run errands again it's a way that you can walk every day and get a few more steps in Um, but you're thinking, where will I find the time to wash the dishes? I don't even have time to comb my hair. Well, again, take it in small bites, baby steps, or what we call microflows in my book. So it doesn't overwhelm you. Just one wash dish, one stairwell a day, one made bed at a time. Kelly McGonigal, who's a health psychologist and lecturer at Stanford University, is known for her work in psychology and neuroscience. And she recently wrote, in the New York Times about the Joy Workout, which is part of her new book, and it can be done inside or outside, taking just seven to 10 minutes a day. This fun, fast fitness regime is really just a refresh of J.P. Mueller's My System, which is a 15 minutes a day workout for health's sake that he published in 1904. Kind of showing this is everything old is new again. I write about J.P. Mueller's system in my Me Time Monday book, but really it's just about a joyful, almost dance that you can do in seven minutes where you're getting your, your aerobic heart rate up, stretching your arms to the sky, bending your knees and bringing them to your chest and just kind of bouncing around and feeling joyful. Now, another trend that we see in workouts is called cozy cardio. And it began again on TikTok as a way to tone down those sweat sessions of the past. So, this is more about taking a page from Hoga, which is the Danish word for cozy. So, that's all about bundling up in socks and a soft cardigan, lighting candles or using mood lighting. So, the room might be a little bit darker, playing soft music around 100 beats per minute that raises your heart rate a little bit, but not too high, not to the same levels of aerobic activity. And then having a warm beverage that's awaiting you when you're done. It's not about pushing yourself too hard or trying to meet a goal of a certain amount of time or miles that you might do on a treadmill. Some feel there is not much benefit to this cozy cardio trend, but it is a blend of moving your body, but also almost meditation because you're not really listening to, uh, you might be listening to music, but you're not focused on a workout class and all the frenziness and, and fast pace that comes with those workout classes. It's a much slower, softer pace. And it also gives you the benefit of helping you to just start your morning with a little bit of movement, get your body moving and your mind moving for the rest of the day. And finally, getting your hands in the dirt is one of the biggest trends since the pandemic. The need to connect to the earth, see living things that are growing is beneficial to both our physical and emotional wellness. Now, for older adults who find typical gardening difficult, you can create raised flower beds or plant beds so there's no bending or kneeling, or... You can also bring the plant life inside with the latest indoor gardening technology called hydroponic garden systems that use LED light to grow the plants. And it also provides a compact indoor garden that uses water, but not the mess of soil or penis. We hope you enjoyed this Me Time Monday Wellness hack. Each episode of our Caribbean Club on Air podcast will feature a new Me Time Monday Wellness hack. You can find these and more in my book, Me Time Monday the weekly wellness plan to find balance and joy for a busy life. And you can visit us at MeTimeMonday.com or CaregivingClub.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Caregiving Club On Air. Please hit the subscribe button to listen to us on our newest channels, Amazon Music, SiriusXM, iHeartRadio, Pandora, as well as Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts and other listening channels. Check out all the resources and article links on our episode guide page at caregivingclub.com just hit the podcast tab at the top and you can also email us with comments and questions at podcastcaregivingclub.com thank you again for listening so care and stay well